Uh, let's get into Joshua, uh, the Word of God this morning. Uh, the book, uh, this, this is a book of the Bible that can change our lives if we allow it to. Uh, some parts are, are kind of hard to read and other parts are really easy uh, to read. This particular book was written about, you know, about... I say about 1250 BC to 1500 BC, and, and there's good scholars on both sides of when that was written. Uh, we don't actually know. I'll, I'll throw out both dates as we talk about certain, certain dates, but some of them is too cumbersome. If you want to have a, a side conversation about the dating of the Bible and different events, uh, I'd love to have that. But up here, it kind of bores people. They kind of get that glossy-eyed look like, okay, I'm ignoring you now. So I won't go through all that. Um, but it's interesting, but it doesn't matter. But if you look at Jesus... Jesus was 2,000 years ago is when he went to the cross. So this book is more than 3,000 years back. And the stuff that we read right now just nails us to the ground sometimes. And then sometimes it encourages us. And then sometimes it does both all at the same time. It's an amazing how the Word of God does this. So we're in Joshua 9 this morning as we race through the book of Joshua. Um, let's see, Joshua 9, uh, 9, verse 1. Now, when all the kings of the west of the Jordan heard about these things, now what are we talking about? The, the things that we talked about? The Jordan, you know, I mean, them crossing the Jordan River in the middle of flood stage, Jericho falling down, uh, Bethel and, and Ai uh, falling to the Israelites. So they heard about all these things. Those in the hill country and the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Great Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jesubites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. Now, in our political climate today, this would be like Republicans getting together with Democrats on the same goal. Now, is that happening right now in our nation? No, we kind of laugh about that. But that's the same thing as all these, you know, these, as I like to call them, the ite countries. You know, the, all these groups of people, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, all these groups of people, they're like Democrats and Republicans. They hate each other sometimes. And we as, as Christians, as we, as if you're conservative or you're liberal, you know, Democrat or Republican, we should not have the attitude of I hate you because you have a different political belief than me. We are above that. We should be above that. God calls us to be above that. Now, we don't have to agree on every little thing, but that doesn't mean I need to hate you. And unfortunately, we've gotten to that point where we have a lot of hatred going on in the political climate, and that is not how, what God calls us to be. So back to the Bible, all these, all these uh, countries that did not get along, all these people groups that did not get along, they put aside all those differences from centuries of fighting because they had the common enemy, the people of God, and they gathered against Israel and they gathered against Joshua. Verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon heard, about, or heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. Now, just so you know, these guys are part of the Hivites. Okay, um, They're part of that group, uh, but they're looking to break ties with the Hivites and they're kind of their own little small group within that group, and they're, they're going to take a chance here. And it says here they resorted, and this is not a complimentary term. This is a kind of a, a negative term. They resorted to a ruse. 
The New Testament word would be hypocrite or mask wearer. They're being deceivers here. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks, old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Now, these guys are only 20 miles away, okay? But you can see kind of the roots. They, they went through all their closets trying to, I need to find my old clothes, hon. You know, the ones that we were going to throw out. No, no, no. I need those right now. Verse 6, it says, Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a far, far galaxy away. No one? Wow. Okay, we come from, from you know, a distant country to make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. Okay, well, they're being smart here. Perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where did you come from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Shahon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashra, and our elders, and all those living in our far, 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 far away country, said to us, Take provisions from your country, go and meet them, and say to them, We're your servants, make a treaty with us. You could imagine them going, you know, come on, come on. Let's all get together. We gotta do this. We gotta do this. And it says, you know, they go on and say, This bread of ours was warm when we packed up. I mean, look at, the, look at how we're, we're dressed. Look at our bread. It's all dry and moldy. And the wineskins, they were all filled. And, and, and look, they're, they're all cracked. And, and our, 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 you know, all our clothes. And it's, all, it's been a long, long journey. Give us a break here. Verse 14, it says, The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. We all know the term, Looks can be deceiving, right? You look at something, you think, oh, that's going to be really good. You know, you look at a dessert, and you're thinking, oh. And then, okay, maybe it's just me. I'm the only one that does that. You know, and you order it, and you get it, and you take that first bite, and you're just like, uh, okay, well, it looked better than it tasted. Well, right now, this is what's happening. Looks can be deceiving. Now, what they, what they just had learned, we just talked about last week and the week before, was that they should have gone to the Lord. They should have inquired, should have asked of the Lord. But these guys, they just went, well, look at them. Look at their shoes. Look at their clothes. They've been traveling. You can tell they've been traveling. I wonder if they got their kids out there to throw dust and dirt all over them. You know what I mean? Traveling on the road, you know? They wouldn't have the nerve to, to, to cheat us or anything like that. We've already got this figured out. We don't need to go to the Lord. You know, like an enemy is going to come right into our house. Give me a break. That would never happen. And it says, so Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly of 
uh, the assembly ratified it by oath. Now, this is beyond just the handshake, yes, you know, my yes is my yes, and my no is my no. Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll just do that. This is way beyond that. They brought God's name into it and ratified a covenant. They bound it by God. They said, in the name of the Lord God of Israel. This means that that if any side should break this covenant with each other, they should be put to death. May the judgment of the Lord rest upon us. This is what they said to these Gibeonites, who came to them acting how the world acts. One of the things that I'm trying to teach my son is, you see the world and see how they're acting, know that that is how they're always going to act, because they're of the world. You should be acting differently. It's part of that growing up, it's part of that, that maturing. In the same way the Lord tells us these type of things. You know, this is, uh, you know these Gibeonites, uh, Gibeonites they, were, they were acting, they were lying and, and deceiving. They were being of the world because they wanted something. And they were going after it. So Joshua made this covenant with them. It says in verse 16, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites. Now, by the way, who wrote the book of Joshua? Anybody? Anybody? I'll give you a hint. Joshua, the name of the book. Joshua actually wrote this. Don't you know he just loved writing this chapter? (laughs) And this is what's really cool about the Bible, because it shows me I don't have to leave out my failures in my life story. If, if I were to later on write about my time at uh, Valley Christian Church and all that, I don't have, you know, there, there's some things that, that, that I would want to leave out. Oh, man, I really screwed that one up. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, well, let me hide that one. Let me never tell anybody I did that or anything like that. But, but God is, is showing us here that I don't have to because I am judged by who? Christ. I'm judged through him. So my sins get wiped away. It's interesting. The question is, when we mess up, do we go back to God or not? See, that's the glory of us messing up. That's the glory of our sin. And it's weird to say glory of sin. I I don't mean that as in godly, okay? But I'm just saying it can be godly when we see that we go back to God and we give that forgiveness and we make a U-turn in that part of our life. That is the glory to God. That's for us to go to the world and say, you know what? I did act like you and I've tried to change my life and let me tell you why I changed my life. And not in a haughty way, not in a, in a, in a in-your-face way. But it's interesting, for those who, who write history, you look back at Egyptian hieroglyphics, you never hear about a, about a battle that they lost, do you? No, because you don't write about the negative, you write about the positive. Babylonian history, you know, it's more rewritten than, I would say, what the Nazis wrote about themselves for a long time. Babylonian history is is amazing. You look at them and you think they're great, and they were terrible, terrible people. I mean, more rewritten than the the post-Berlin Wall Russian history would be. But the Bible has the Holy Spirit setting down with Joshua, 
And he says, okay, Joshua, put this in there. Chapter 9, you need to tell them what you did. And I'm sure there would have been a little bit of eye rolling. Are you sure? Are you positive, God? Okay. He says, verse 16, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that there were, they were neighbors living, uh, that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to the cities. Israel had been very stressed at this point. This is why they're so, you know, uh, they're in that place where they can be deceived so easily because they're stressed out. And, and failure is not always the cause or, or the result from the enemy. Usually failure comes from us. What comes before the fall, as the saying goes? Pride goes before the fall, right? Who pumps us up when we're successful? Well, usually we do. We start it out, and then we get our lackeys to come behind us and, and tell us how great we are, and we're doing this great, and we're doing that great. We want to blame the, the devil uh, when we fall, but who really is the, you know, the cause of it usually? We are. The guard is totally down, and the enemy takes advantage of this, and the way that they did this, to, you know, they did it to themselves. And what I mean is this. As long as they were in the wilderness, people left them alone. They were beyond the Jordan River. They were a people group that stayed out there for 40 years. We don't know. They're lost out there or something. They're just, we heard the stories of them coming out of Egypt, but, but really nothing much since then. And they just left alone. But now that they're across the Jordan River, now that they're winning battles, the enemies comes together and they join to fight them off. And after, you know, in Joshua 9, you will notice them joining each other to start to fight the Israelites. It's no longer one group alone fighting them. They come together. This is like a functional United Nations. And, and they're saying, we have to defeat the Israelites. The battles start to get more intense, and as you, you, know, as you start to garner success, the attention starts to come towards you, and the enemy gathers together. So when you succeed, you get more attention from the enemy, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you're on the, the demon top 10 wanted list. And I hope you're kind of equating this to your own life. Man, you, you see somebody and they're like, man, they're on fire for God. They're on fire for God. And, and, the, and the demons, uh, you know, Satan gathers his minions and he's like, we've got to do something about so-and-so because they're on fire of God because they're leading their ministry. They're doing well in this life. They're serving God in this area and they're doing great. And we, gotta, we, gotta, we need to divide up that family. We need to divide and conquer. There's too much strength there in that household. And they start using deception against us. Now, our reaction can be either dealing with this, dealing with it, or going all paranoid. And we can do both. <laughs> Oftentimes, we ignore it and go paranoid or whatever. But what would the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians 6? He would say, put on your armor of God. What would John say? John would say, start abiding in him. Start living for him. And what would Peter say? Be careful. Your enemy, you know, prowls around like a roaring lion ready to pounce on you. None of the Bible writers would say, 
Be scared. Run for your lives. This morning, I, I cracked up. I, I got, uh, came out of our room, and Brandon was laying down on the couch. I could barely see his head, and he, uh, I went to the kitchen, and I opened up my fridge to grab a Diet Coke, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he just shot up from the couch like I was going to you know, try to sneak up and scare him or something, you know, and I laughed at him. I go, do you think I was going to scare you? He's like, oh, no, 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 and he lays back down on the couch. So then what, of course, I'm being a great dad, what do I do? You know, I sneak over to the couch and I jump up and I go, did I scare you? I mean, he just about jumped off the couch. It was a lot of fun, you know. That's what the, you know, that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to scare us and, and, and we would say run for your lives. But that's what an immature Christian does. Now, the story about Brandon on the couch, really, did, it was just funny. I had nothing to do with sermon, but you know. But an immature Christian runs for their lives. They get scared. So out in the desert, they ignore you. Then you march around Jericho, and you look silly. You get laughed at. But after the wall, they start to take notice. You go up to Ai, you fell. But then they see you regroup and defeat them. So the world starts to take notice. And this is what the enemy is doing. They're taking notice. And the Gibeonites took notice and it's interesting because they took a, a terrible risk here. They probably, you know, they probably looked at this and, you know, looked between the mountains, saw all the people, and they probably had spies, and they're sitting there going, how can we find a loophole to get in with these people because they're against all of us. They're defeating all of us, you know, and Joshua's up there telling the, the law, and, uh, you know, we talked about how the Israelites went uh, so many miles out of their way between these two mountains, and Joshua got up and, and read the book of, uh, book of Deuteronomy, and, and Joshua's telling the law, and he says, you're going to annihilate these cities that you come to. And these people from far, far, far away are really near listening to all this. And they're thinking, how can we make a treaty with them so they can come in peace? And they hear the words treaty. And they start to understand, well, if we can get in there, that's our loophole. If we make a covenant in God's name with them, they have to keep it. Because there's no loopholes in God's law. So they heard that, and they did what the world does, and they took advantage of it. And they live in three beautiful cities. If you ever go to Israel, um, we will go by one of these. We went by one day. We kind of have a half day where we just took a break because you're doing a lot of walking as, you know, in Israel and so forth. And I should have looked through my pictures, and I didn't. Um, it has something to do with the kids being home all the time. Um, but... Uh, you know, uh, but but one of them is it's like this natural spring where you can go swimming out in the area and the beautiful palm trees and the mountains in the background and all that kind of stuff. It, it could look like our area, but uh, uh, without all the smog and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was kind of beautiful in there. They had three beautiful cities out in this area, so they lie and they deceive like the world does, and Israel does something just as bad. They made a really bad decision. Why do they need God if they don't consult him? 
This is so unlike us, isn't it? We never make decisions without God, right? <laughs> and this is one of, you know, one of the mistakes older Christians tend to make. As we get older, <laughs> as we get older, we stop talking to God as much. I mean, baby Christians, they're on fire. Baby Christians can irritate you because they're just like gun-ho. We want to do this and we want to do that. And how about this ministry and how about that ministry? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses a little bit here. Then Christianity gets a hold of us sometimes. And somewhere along the way, Oftentimes, we stop talking to God. We stop going to Him. But if we continue to walk with Him and continue to talk with Him throughout our lives, no matter what age we are, continue to go to Him, when we fight battles, we will win more battles than we lose. Do you see in verse 7 how God's people did not have a peace about this at all? They said, but perhaps you live near us. Uh, near us. Perhaps you do. I, something's not quite right here. How then can we make a treaty with you? Something wasn't right. It sounded too good to be true. But they were pressured into a worldly corner, and they made a quick decision. This is one of the worst things as Christians that we can do. You know, it's interesting. They haven't been in this part of the country that long since the Battle of Jericho. This has all happened really quickly. How did this group from so far, 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 far away hear about this so quickly? Should have been the first clue. And their disguises, if they really would have looked at them, it doesn't hold water all the way. Now, does bread deteriorate at the same rate as shoe leather? <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, I bet you by the, next, uh, by, the, by the next day, the women could have figured all this out. You know, but us men, we know everything, right? They're probably in there in the morning baking bread, and they're like, wait a second. But it had already been made. A shoe guy the next day could have figured it out, because guess what? All shoes, do they wear out at the same time? rate well we go well if somebody had the same pair of shoes and all but we're talking about 3,000 3,500 years ago the shoes were made out of different leathers and all that kind of stuff what they had at the time so it wouldn't have worn out they're not as consistent as as our materials so they would have worn out at different rates and so forth you know what's interesting this is all based on lies. And we as Christians need to understand this. If you're in sales, if you're in, you know, trying to, to sell something or anything like that, it is never biblical to close a sale with a lie. It's not. God wants us to be honest, period. If someone goes and checks on something, we want it to be right, If we say, I get it to you by Friday, and we haven't done it on by Thursday night, guess what? You need to pull an all-nighter to get it to them by Friday. Because you say you're a Christian. 
Or you need to pick up the phone and say, I won't be able to have, you got to admit it. It's better to say, I will try to do something than to promise it. Because the word of God says, thou shall not lie. It's one of the most basic things that we teach our children. Do you have a Gibeonite in your life? Always lying to you? I hope they're not a relative because that, you know, brings in a whole bunch of other things, you know. But the Israelites and the Gibeonites were supposed to act differently. This, you know, uh, that is the way it should have worked. So they come to them with a lie in verse 7. And then in verse 9, Joshua questions them. Who are you? Where did you come from? And, you know, and they're, they're going against this internal peace that they, should, you know, had, but something was kind of off. And the men of Israel are going to defer to Joshua, even though they don't have peace about the situation. And Joshua is going to go against his internal peace, and he's going to make a decision. Now, we need to be careful with this. We don't need to use this whole, do I have peace about it, to shut down everything that we just don't like what is said. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I don't have peace about that, so we're not going to do that. You know, we can be too flippant with it. We have to go to the Lord. There's a difference between peace and not liking something. Just like there's, there's a difference between joy and happiness. There's some things that can make me unhappy, yet I still have joy in my life because I know the direction I'm going. I know that one day I'll be in heaven so I can hold on to that joy I have even though a situation may be negative. There's a difference between the two. And one of the reasons for for Joshua, he's making a mistake, is because of the timing. Well, we have to decide today. We have to make this decision. I don't like being pushed into a decision too quickly. I like to sit with it for a while. And I'm learning that, uh, that uh, <clears throat> when I tell a person that I'm waiting on something, they like to come back and pressure you, don't they? Well, have you made your decision yet? Well, have you made your decision yet? You know, this is why I like deadlines. Give me a deadline of when that decision needs to be made, and that's when I'll make it. But don't be, you know, pushing all the way through. Let me have my time. And this is one reason why I love emails. You know, a lot of times I'll forward my previous email to them where I said that I was going to wait. Oh, yeah, I'm just reminding you, this is what our conversation was, you know. And I'll reiterate to them that I'm going to wait on this. But sometimes we have to make a decision or need to make a decision, but we need to check with the Lord. We don't want to go against the peace. Anytime we go against the peace of God that's in us, we will always regret it. We always will. There's people sitting here that have gone against the peace of God on certain decisions, and they would agree with this because we've all been there. God is not going to be unhappy because you came to him. You know what I'm saying? God's not going to go, well, you should have made that decision instead of coming to me. I love it when my kids come and talk to me instead of making a decision on their own because I want to help guide them. I want to help direct them. Now, sometimes I don't have peace because I'm nervous about something. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes the Lord wants, you know, and sometimes it's something the Lord wants me to do, but there's nothing, you know, but I really don't want to do it. So there's being nervous versus being unpeaceful. It's it's different. 
A lot of times it's because I haven't spent enough time with God about it. And God will give me more peace if I spend more time with him. He's not going to be unhappy because you came to him. But we can go, but I'm more uncomfortable now. And he goes, yeah, I know that, Alan. Let me give you a little bit of peace. See, it's not about comfort. It is about peace. Those are two different things. In Colossians 3, um, 15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart, hearts to God. And I hope this morning that you had gratitude in your hearts to God as we sang psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Our worship needs to be mindful of this. But let's take a, a couple of, you know, let's take a look at a couple of these words. Rule. It means to decide or to be an umpire. I like this one. The peace of Christ that is in me is supposed to be an umpire. Safe or out? I like it when God calls safe or out. I just get to play the game then. But when you play the game, you get the benefit of a good umpire. I love a fair umpire, don't you? I mean, a fair umpire. You know, I may not like it when, uh, when, when the fairness goes against me, but if I look at the replay, I go, yeah, he, he, he was fair in that. He was right in that. But I can't stand it when I get an unfair umpire. I mean, you feel cheated, don't you? You... you you're just like, that is not fair. You know, when I was in college, I was an athletic trainer for University of Houston. And we had gone, uh, we'd won 10 games. And we had one game left in the season. And we were on probation, so we couldn't, uh, couldn't go to a bowl game at that time. And... Uh, we had one game against Texas left, and it was at an, in Texas Stadium. It was a big game. And University of Houston, we were doing the, uh, the run and shoot. It was a, a new form of, of uh, football playing at that time in the early 90s, and, and it was hard to cover. You know, you had five wide receiver or four wide receivers and one back that would go out to be a receiver. It was very hard at that time to, to cover that. Now everybody kind of plays that type of game in many ways. But at this game at University of Texas, we played our hearts out, and we lost. The problem was we had three touchdowns that were called back. In other words, they threw a flag at one point or another. And then two touchdowns were given to them, uh, to Texas. Uh, even though you look back at the replay, they weren't legitimate touchdowns. So five different touchdowns in one game, and the refs were actually reprimanded after the season by the, by the governing body for the referees for their unfairness. Unfortunately, couldn't go back and change the, the results. You know, we were still running for national championship. We could have gone undefeated, but we didn't. But you feel cheated so much when something like that happens, right? Wouldn't it be better if the Holy Spirit was acting as the umpire in your life? Going, you know, going along and, and he calls out or safe? This is allowing the peace of Christ to rule in us. 
We become better decision makers when we follow God in those ways. And we become quicker about making decisions. A good ump makes a, make a, makes a quick decision, and usually it's the right call. Now, some of us might have been told all our lives that we're poor decision makers. I know some people that just can't make a right decision for the life of them. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, come on, not that, oh, come on, no, no, ah! I wouldn't have made that decision, come on. And you try to guide them. The only thing that's going to change them is God. Getting closer to God and going to God and saying, should I make this decision or not? Sometimes it's just a matter of growing up. You know, never wanting to make a hard decision in life is just a cop-out. It's not that you're bad, you just don't want to make one. Too afraid of, of the wrong decisions in life. Uh, you know, well, once you go to the Lord, then you will start to understand yes is your yes and no is your no, and, and then you'll understand the, the, the waiting on the Lord. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. I love that. He himself is our peace. So the peace of Christ is going to rule me, and the peace of Christ is him. He is my peace. So I, I don't have to make a long-distance um, satellite connection. All I need to do is get down on my knees and pray to God and start a conversation with him and say a prayer. Sometimes I can get instructions in the middle of a situation. Sometimes it's toward the end of the situation that I get instructions from the Lord. Sometimes you only have three minutes and you need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, i got to make this decision in three minutes. Which way am I going to have more peace with? And you go down the path that has more peace. Here's the deal. He comes into us and he is our peace. God answers us every time. We act like he doesn't answer. We act like God doesn't listen. Well, he didn't give me an answer. But if you have peace about something, maybe he did give you an answer and you're just not listening. Now, sometimes, you know, we have this middle ground like the Lord doesn't, you know, uh, the Lord doesn't really care if we go this way or that way. If you go this way, I'm going to use you in A, B, and C. If you go that way, I'm going to use you in D, E, and F. I'll use you in different ways, and that's okay. You know, a lot of times I, I, I sense the Lord laughing at me because I'm so stressed out about a certain decision, and God's going... You're, you're so, just make a decision. I'm fine with either one. I'm thankful that he does and he can laugh. What he's doing is he's teaching me to follow the peace that he gives me in life. Now, we don't have to pray about things like the Ten Commandments, okay? <laughs> we get those. We don't have to pray about things like, you know, Lord, should I commit adultery this Friday night? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, he's not even going to answer. He's going to look, you know, give you that look, that parental look. You're like, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have answered that one, you know. He's not even going to respond to you. Should I, should I lie to my boss? Come on, Alan. We need to let the peace of Christ rule in us. Look at Israel. They're going against their peace. 
And when they should have checked in with the Lord, they didn't. In fact, verse, uh, what is it, 18, it says, But the Israelites did not attack them, because their leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord and the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. When you are in lead of your household, or work, or church, or retirement community, or organization, whatever you're in charge of, the world watches your decisions, right? Sometimes they'll agree with them, sometimes they won't, and right or wrong, they will judge you. I just hope and pray that that my good decisions outweigh my bad decisions in the eyes of man. But really, it matters in the eyes of the Lord. See, Joshua was knocked down a notch again here. But he will come back from this. People are human. All of Israel is responsible, not just Joshua. If a lot of the people did not have this peace and they kept their mouths quiet, they're responsible just like Joshua was responsible for this. They should have spoken up. Everyone else thought that somebody else was supposed to lead. And here the whole group goes right off of a cliff in a sense. And so we need to say, if you're called to leave, you you need to step up and lead. If you're called to take a break, then step back and take a break. But whatever you do, do it in obedience to the Lord. When we respond to God, he blesses us so much more. Some of us get paralyzed in indecision. When God is saying, now is the time. And we're like, but, 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 Lord, no, 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 I'm not uh, yet. And Lord's going, no, 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 I'm giving you the godly peace. You need to do this. And we're still in the back seat going, I don't think so. If he calls us to do something, then we should do it. And if, he, you know, if we're going uh, to make less Gibeonite mistakes among us, then we need to be praying about the decisions that we have. We need to ask, we need to seek, and we need to wait on the Lord. And then we need to make a decision and move forward. So Israelites makes a covenant, and the people were released. But the Lord doesn't break this covenant. The Lord doesn't release these two parties from this covenant ever. In fact, you look at it throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see the Gibeonites come up at time after time after time. It started out as a deception, and the Gibeonites actually become part of the tribes of Israel eventually. They end up marrying into the group, and they, you have the Gibeonites in Israel. In fact, verse 20 and 21, Joshua's so mad. Uh, you know, He's like, we're going to make you water boys. We're going to make you the woodcutters. We're going to make you the gophers, and we're going to do all this kind of stuff. And once Israel sees their cities, they even get mad, you know, more mad. Why is that? Because they had beautiful cities that Israel would have conquered and taken over. But now they're not going to conquer them. The Lord makes Gibeon a tribe of Israel, and you will see David in the Gibeonites, and they will become David's inner circle. When the Israelites return from Babylon and Nehemiah wants to rebuild the wall, it's the group of Gibeonites that are working on the section of the wall. God takes the whole thing after the fact and says, my covenant stands, my decision stands. So now they're included in the plans of Israel. Have you ever made a Gibeonite covenant? And God says, well, you made your bed, now you have to lie in it. But he also teaches us something else. 
It says, and when we know, you know in Romans it says that, that we know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, the Lord can take a negative giving night situation. Like all of a sudden your young child has a, has a son or a daughter out of wedlock or whatever, and initially you're so mad, but, but the mistake has already been made, and then the love comes out. Our business deal, the guy keeps ripping you off over and over, and the Lord is like, well, you're the one that made the deal with him. You're the one that put yourself in that situation. You've got to finish it all the way through. Some people feel like they married a Gibeonite, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know you were this way when, when we got married. If I would have known this, I don't think God would have blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? You've married them. So now you've got to work with God to figure out how is this marriage going to work? What is my part in this marriage? How can I love them like you, with your love, God, and lay that foundation? Maybe God wants to take our mistake and turn it to glorify him. Maybe it was a mistake, but God can turn mistakes into something beautiful. You know, I've, I've said this multiple times, but, uh, you know, with our son, Grayson, here two young people made a mistake. They're not married. They have a child. The woman ends up walking into a restaurant asking if we wanted to adopt her child. So here we, you know, what, what started out as a mistake turned into a beautiful relationship between multiple families now. We did an open adoption, and we go on vacation. They go on vacation with us. We celebrate with them. We, we mourn with them. We do all these different things. Now our churches are connected, and now we're going to the Philippines. God turned something that could have been such a negative into such a huge positive in life. When God gets in the middle of something, it turns into a great thing. He can do wonders with a mess. It's all about control. We like to control. And God is going, but I'm the one that should have control. This week, when you're faced with the decision to tell a truth or a lie, guess what you should do? Tell the truth. This week, when you're faced with someone that the presentation seems a little off, what they're saying, you know what? Go to God and say, do I have peace about this? And he will tell you what direction to go. And if you don't have peace with it, don't enter into that. Because it's not of God. I promise you, I promise you, that God will direct your path when you go to him and ask for him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That is what the word of God says. And that is what we should do. Unlike what Joshua did with the Gibeonites. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, I'm I thank uh, thankful that in my life that when I make mistakes, you forgive me. But Lord, I pray that, that more often than not that I would come to you before I make the mistakes. 
I pray that, that you would use your spirit to encourage us to spend that time with you. When we have decisions to be made, that you're the one that we go to when we ask, do we have peace about this? Lord, I pray that you, you help us understand the difference between peace and not liking something. That we would understand when it's something that's, that's of you and not of ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that lives in us. And we pray that we use that in our decision-making. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. Wherever you are in life, may he bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.